In most recognized countries across the world, there's an American embassy, which is like a, a little bit of a America, a long way from home. And ambassadors have special immunities and protections from the local law enforcement. The host nation's law enforcement can only enter the embassy with the ambassador's permission. So a little bit of, a little bit of uh, America far from home. And if you get in trouble in a hostile country, you make your way to the American embassy. And because when you cross the gate and cross into the realm of that embassy, you, you go into the gates and inside that fence, you are a part back on American soil, even though you are in a foreign country. And the church today is a little bit of a glimpse of heaven here on earth. And no, it's not a physical heaven. That's not what I mean. But what I mean is that we come together and the values of eternity operate here. And so it's a little bit of heaven a long way from home. And it's important to be reminded as Christians, and we do need to be reminded. That's one of the reasons we have communion, right? Is that we can be reminded of the sacrifice Christ made for us. But we need to be reminded that we are not home yet. Now, maybe you've lived in your home for decades. Maybe you just moved into your home. Maybe you're building a home. That's not your true long-term home. Heaven is our home. God is preparing a place for us, every single believer, and um, just for you and for me. And so we can be thankful for that. We can look forward to that. And it's easy to get focused on the here and now and, and be so focused on what we're doing here on earth, doing in life, that we are an eternal soul, that through Christ has been given eternal salvation, and that we will dwell with him. And that, think about this. What, what's the one thing that people value most? And, and remember years ago um, that there, there would be a gold rush. Why? Because gold was found. The importance of gold. Many of you are wearing gold right now. I have a gold ring right here. What some people value so highly is gold, money. This gold, just think about this, um, will be pavement in heaven. Pavement in heaven. So what we value, I don't see anyone trying to steal our pavement outside here in the church parking lot. But that's what it'll be in heaven. We're not home yet. Let me ask you a question, and maybe you already know it, but what really is the church? The church is a place where weary people can go to find truth, freedom, acceptance, safety, joy, justice. They can find help. And it is to serve as a centralized role in culture. And as a pastor, my job is not only to preach God's word, but also to administrate the critical operations of the church in such a way that the church fulfills its purpose in society. Now, society may look down upon the church. Society may not always appreciate the church. At times, I believe they do. But other times, they may look down. They may not say, hey, I agree with some of their beliefs. Some have compared the church to a battleship 
or a hospital for weary people. And unless we're prideful, there comes a time in all of our lives where we, we need help. You see, one thing, though, that I know the church is not is a cruise ship. And if you go on a cruise, they have their buffets, all you can eat. We do have that in common maybe a little bit as Baptists with that. I'll give you that. But when you go on a cruise ship, you're not there to serve at the buffet. You're not there to go get the towels, to clean the rooms. No, you're there to be served. Why? Because you're on a cruise ship. You paid good money to be entertained, to be there. At the end of the day, the church is not a place to just entertain you. The church isn't a place for you just to come and be a consumer. And that has entered in many American churches, the mindset of the church is there to serve me, I'm not there to serve. That does happen. It's a consumer mindset. But when we are a part of God's church, when we read his word, when we read about the church, we realize that we are called to serve as believers and be served. That's definitely a part of it. To love and also to be loved. And so we bring our gifts and our abilities out to the church to help further the kingdom of God, to help bring people to Jesus, to help encourage, to help other people. If you've been to the movies before and you go to the movies, they have their previews. They have their previews. You get your popcorn with you know, you, you have them fill it up halfway and you put butter in the middle because that's how you're supposed to do it. And then you put a lot of butter on top. At least that was, that's what my wife makes me do and for her. And you get your Coke or your Pepsi or whatever you get and you go to the movies. Nothing like popcorn at the movie theater, right? And you go and you watch the previews. And what are the previews? Some of the previews you watch are like, oh, that's going to be good. And you and your wife or your girlfriend, boyfriend, you go, we need to go see that. And maybe you do. Then there's some previews, you're like, eh, yeah, I hope you like Netflix, because that's where you're going. And, or you're not even going to make it to Netflix, like you're going to like, I don't know, Paramount or something, like you're not even going to make it to, to that. And, 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 but you see some of the previews, and it gives you a glimpse of what that movie is going to be about without giving away everything. And then sometimes you watch the movie and you're like, man, the best part of the movie was the preview. No, you hate when that happens. That happens sometimes. So here on earth, as we read God's word, as we worship, as we learn from one another, we comfort one another, we pray for one another, we encourage one another, it's a little bit of a preview of what heaven's going to be like. You know, sometimes I will run into people, in fact, I was talking with a man this week. Um, he stopped by our property. He saw I was doing some work out there, moving some dirt. And uh, he stopped by, and he was a neighbor, and talking to him. He's a Christian man, and he said, I just haven't found the church. I just haven't found the church. And I want to encourage you that whether it's this church or another church, find a place that you call home as your church. Now, you might be thinking right now, because having dealt with people, you may be thinking right now, um, but I, I, I just, I don't want to commit to a church. I, I, I'm just not ready to do that. Uh, I heard one, one man say one time, um, years ago, I was in Atlanta at 
the dwarf house, the original Chick-fil-A, right? I don't know why I was there, but I was there by myself. And I think I was waiting for somebody to meet with. But anyway, I hear these group of men. These are older men, and there's about 10 of them. And one man's kind of loud, and, and he goes, um, you know, I, I, like the, I like the church, but if you ever see my name on a roll as a member, you know that I did not put my name there. So I'll never be a member of a church. Ooh, man. I said, I thought to myself, I didn't chime in. I'm like, you know, I don't want to deal with that too early in the morning. But I thought, man, maybe that, maybe that, guy, that man's been hurt in church before. Maybe, maybe that's the case. And I, I can sympathize with that. Um, but he was saying the church wasn't worth being a member of, of being a part of. And when you read the scriptures, I'm just saying, read the scriptures. And when you read the scriptures and you read about the New Testament saints, you see how involved they were in the church, how much they loved the church. Some of the, the churches met in homes. They still meet in homes today. Some churches meet like this. They meet in different ways and looked at different parts and right and, and different people, different races and so on. And, 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 but my point is this, is that Christ died and bled for the church. And as we come together as a church, we have church for Christians. We do. When you read biblically, church is for Christians. They go, wait a second, preacher, I'm not a Christian, and I'm here. Are you trying to tell me to get out? No, 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 is that what I'm saying? Here in the church, we welcome anyone who wants to come and worship with us. And our desire as believers is for you to become a Christian. Make no mistake, to follow Jesus alongside of us. But ultimately, the church is for the church, to serve in the worship Jesus. It's a little bit of a glimpse of heaven. Listen, if you don't like singing worship songs, hymns, whatever you love to sing unto Jesus here on earth in church, what do you think heaven's going to be like? I mean, heaven's going to have some of the best worship. No one's going to complain about any worship style or this or that. I mean, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be the best of the best. We're going to be worshiping Jesus. You've seen nothing yet. However, we do get a little bit of a glimpse here on earth of heaven when we worship together, when we open God's word together. And so the church is a spiritual hospital on a battleship fighting a spiritual war, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is the church. And if Christ bled and died for the church, and he did, and if there's going to be a wedding between Christ and the church, and the Bible calls it a mystery in heaven, and we see that many were willing to die for Christ in his church, and many go overseas and leave their families to tell other people about Jesus to start churches and I I think if it's that important to Jesus it should be that important to me amen the church is important and we need to each be a part of it it's a little bit of a glimpse a little bit of a glimpse now I realize maybe some of you instead of the seeing a preview of what heaven's going to be like in church. Maybe you were in church and it was more like a sitcom or worse, like a soap opera. And you're like, 
I just wanted to see a good preview. Like, I didn't want to see the soap opera, Days of Our Lives, or whatever, which one's still on. I don't know if that's even still on. But, but man, so we will always want to make sure that Jesus is high lifted up and our focus is always on him. And so Paul goes into this, and here's point one, is an interlocking mystery. So he says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. Now, if you were here last week, you'll be reminded that, that um, the message was really focused in on how at one point in time, Israel, God's chosen nation, God's chosen people, God used them in a mighty way. God's desire for Israel was to reach Gentiles, to be a light in the world, to bring people and point all people to God the Father. But instead, they, they focused within. And instead, they end up building walls instead of building bridges. Instead of, of encouraging others to come to God, they really made everything separate and kept people out. And here, Paul is reminding this church in Ephesus and reminding other churches that read um, the, the, uh, this, this letter that he wrote to them, especially during that time, that um, the Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. We're all God's holy people. We're all members of God's family. Now, he is speaking to Christians, the Jewish Christians. He's talking to the Gentile Christians. He's saying, there is no longer you're a Jewish Christian and then you're a Gentile Christian. No, no. You both belong to the same family. You were grafted in together. You're together. And so because you repented and you put your faith and trust in Christ. Now together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. So the Holy Spirit identifies the apostles and the prophets as being the foundation of which Christ was the chief cornerstone. Now, it was the apostles who received the Holy Spirit's inspiration to declare the New Testament truth. It was the apostles who received the Holy Spirit's illumination to spread the New Testament truth. And so, in a sense, the apostles and the prophets of the New Testament were God's foundational gifts to the church. Now, there can be some difference of opinions on this. Tends to be more um, a difference of opinion between most evangelical churches and some churches that um, would hold, I would call, charismatic. Not all. I don't want to paint a, a broad brush with this. But um, I believe, and this is what I hold to, that the ministry of the apostles in these New Testament prophets ceased when the New Testament was written and it was published. It, in other words, it was no longer needed. And in fact, anyone that you see was an apostle at one point in time had saw, had seen Christ Jesus himself. And just kind of a side note, part of this message here, that Man, sometimes you will see advertised like, hey, come and hear Apostle so-and-so at our church. And I'm going to be real honest. When I see that, I go, oop, red flag, red flag, red flag, just saying. I'm like, what's going on here? Uh, why do you need to be called an apostle? Like you have some special 
authority given to you. Um, and so believing that it was something foundational, we see time and time again in the New Testament of the apostles and some of these New Testament prophets, that when the word of God was written, when the word of God was given, when the word of God was spread, the need for the apostles and their job was complete. So we don't need any new apostles today. Now we need more preachers. We need more uh, um, evangelists. We need more teachers. Absolutely. But the apostles, they died off when they died off. We don't need them any longer. Christ is the cornerstone, the key position of this foundation. And so if you know anything about cornerstones, it would slide in that cornerstone, and it was something that would help them gauge in how they're going to build the foundation and build the building. Christ is our foundation. And we'll see in the New Jerusalem, we will also see that the foundation of the New Jerusalem will be the names of the apostles. Go back and read Revelation. It goes into detail on um, um, a little bit more on that. So, um, in Christ, in Christ is what we see. That if you're a Christian, you've given your life to Christ, that you are God's holy temple. The temple that once was, they called it Solomon's temple, then it was Herod's temple, it's torn down. AD 70, the Romans came in, the, the temple wasn't done yet, and this was devastating to the Jews. Jesus even prophesied about it at, before he went to the cross, that, man, this temple is going away. And then he said symbolically, in three days I'm going to raise it up again. What was he talking about? He was talking about what he was going to do. He was going to conquer death and the, and the grave through uh, coming back to life after three days. And we see here biblically that our body is called a holy temple. It is holy because the Holy Spirit dwells in it. And by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the saved sinner is placed in the Lord. Now, maybe you've heard that term, and I'm not sorry teaching about this this morning, but being baptized in the Holy Spirit. When did that happen? The word baptism or baptize is a Greek word, baptismo, which means to submerse is what it means. And we believe that happens at salvation, that when you repented of your sins, but your faith and trust, you were submersed and you were given the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9 says this. Romans 8, 9, that TV's not on back there in the back for me. It says this, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man has not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 says, don't you realize that, that all of you together are the temple of God, that the spirit of God lives in you. Now, that may be humbling to think that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, is given to every single believer, and that we're called God's holy temple. Now, when we come together as a church, we come together, and God's presence is here. How do we know that? Because the Spirit of God lives in us. We're God's holy temple. We come here together, and His presence is here. And when the people leave the building, God's presence, in the sense of being a part of us, is not here. Now, God's, you know, he's, he's everywhere, obviously. It's not what I'm saying. But, but, but that we come together, he is here. Now, it might be humbling to think that, man, God lives inside of me, that I'm God's holy temple because I don't always feel holy. 
I don't always feel that way. But if any of us were perfect, um, in which none of us are but Christ, God uses imperfect people. And I'm glad that he uses each and every one of us. And so maybe you're really hard on yourself and you're thinking, why would God want to use me? I know some of the sins I deal with, some of the sins I struggle with. And man, the enemy wants you to think that you cannot be used, that you're too broken. But the Spirit of God, anyone who will humble themselves to the Lord, confess their sin, he will use. And he will use you. And so show yourself some grace and accept the grace that God does offer to anyone who will confess, who will repent, and he will help, and he will change. And, and so we see that this interlocking mystery, this mystery called the church, is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. And God, he dwells with us, not in buildings. God forbid if if this church suddenly tomorrow wasn't here, the church didn't go anywhere. The building did, but the church is right here. The church is still here. You see, God had an interlinking plan. He had an interlinking plan. And um, we see here with Paul, and uh, before I get to point two, is that notice Paul, he is a prisoner here. He is in chains as he's writing many of the different New Testament books, but he's in chains. And he has a special responsibility given to him that he feels from the Lord of, of making sure the Gentiles know, that they know about the grace in which um, God wants to show the Gentiles. And he says, this is a mysterious plan that I'm going to reveal to you. And he is, um, he is showing it. He is telling it. And he is passionate about making sure that everyone knows about God's plan here. Now, when you, when you read the Old Testament, you don't find the church anywhere in the Old Testament. And in fact, when it comes to the church, you don't even see really a hint of it. I'll mention a passage here in a moment about the Lord wanting to reach the Gentiles. But it was, it was a surprise. The Pharisees, the church, oh, what is this church? What is this assembly? The church means to uh, come together. What is this? It took, them, it took them by surprise. But you see, God had an interlinking plan. Now, Matthew 16, 18 says this. It says this. Jesus said to Peter, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock... I will build my church. I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build it upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. Now, it isn't evident in the English translation, but in the Greek we discover that in the text that when Jesus asked, who do you say that I am, the you is plural in that passage. So if it was in the south, they would say uh, you all, right? Or we have there in Florence, Kentucky, you all. I heard that quite a bit in the South. And also heard you Yankee. I heard that quite a bit. (laughs) And I had to remind them I'm not a Yankee. I'm a Midwesterner. And they did not care. So (laughs) 
That didn't go over very well. Also a tip for those who travel to the South. If they say bless your heart, it has multiple, multiple meanings. It could mean they feel sorry for you. It could mean that you're really dumb. Bless his heart. He just doesn't know. Bless his heart. You know, you fell and tripped and hurt yourself. And it's, oh, bless your heart. And it's a, a term of endearment of like, hey, you know, I want to help you. And um, I just thought they were being nice to me. And um, they were for the most part. But <laughs> where are we? And so here with Peter. I'm going to run through this. So with Peter, as Jesus is talking with Peter, and he asked, he asked his apostles, who do you guys say that I am? And Peter did not have the paralysis of analysis. He goes right into it. I mean, if you want to know what Peter was one of those people that if you want to know what Peter thought, you were, going to, you were going to know. Like He was not going to hide it. He was going to say it. He didn't have much of a filter. And so he said, you are, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and responds by affirming him and changing his name from Simon Barjona to Peter, which means stone. He continues on saying, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so once the disciples individually recognize and agree who Jesus was, they're ready to come together and be the church. And this is critical because Jesus is both foundational, the foundation and the cornerstone of the church. And once he saw and understood who he was, Jesus esteemed their commitment to his identity by empowering them to carry out his work. And he did this because, because they, showed, they showed a group of individuals who could jointly make an impact on society, coming together to further the kingdom of God. And this word that we see, and this is debated among different scholars and even among different denominations, but the word Jesus used for Peter was the Greek word petros. It indicated a single stone that could be easily thrown. And really what Jesus is saying here is a, a bit of a pun, some believe, and this is not the word Jesus used for rock, Jesus used the word Petra, which is indicative of a mass or a cliff of rocks that are compressed of something much harder than just an individual rock. And, and while there are multitude of rocks in Petra, they do not function as individual rocks, but they are intimately joined together and interlocked and I believe that's the picture Jesus is giving there with his disciples that he's giving to his church. That yes, Peter's definitely very important, but he's a small rock built upon the foundation of Jesus, who's the cornerstone, interlocked in together with him. And so to say that, man, I love Jesus, but I don't really love the church is really the same as saying, preacher, we like you, but we don't like your wife. <laughs> I mean, if I told you that, and I said, hey, let's go out to dinner, you're probably like, I think we're going to pass. Jesus loves and cares for his church. It's interlocked. It's all together. 
And the Jews and the Gentiles who are saved are interlinked together as one body. And so the church is made up of many different interlinking pieces. Scripture is very clear that it compares us to a body of believers. A body. Interlinked. You know, it's amazing that if you were to just take off, chop off your pinky finger or your pinky toe, how just one little, one little you know, part of your body affects the whole body, right? I mean, if you get a cut in your mouth, what does your tongue do the entire day? It keeps touching it and touching it. That's so all you think about is a cut in your mouth. Or if you have an infected tooth, like there's something going, like you can't hardly ignore it. And the church is compared to a body that comes together. So when one part hurts, we all hurt. We're all encouraged. One part's encouraged. We're all encouraged. We're interlinked. And if you take two draft horses pulling together, um, they, can, they can pull much more than just one can. In fact, one draft horse can pull an estimated about 8,000 pounds. Now, if you put two of them together, you're automatically going to think, oh, well, you know, eight times two is 16. I get that. No, no, no. They actually can pull 24,000 pounds. And that as we are yoked in with Christ and we are a body together, we can do so much more together than apart. And I know in America, we had this individualism where we're like, hey, you know what? I'm going to be my own man, my own person, do things my own way. And while there's a beauty in that to a certain extent, when it comes to the church world, it can really hinder a church. We're called to come together to encourage, to love. You see, God doesn't play favorites. The Old Testament doesn't give us any clues on the, on the New Testament church. And in fact, um, many kind of view prophecy this way, that there are the, what they call the peaks and the valleys of, of prophecy. And the church is definitely in the valley part. We did not see it. There, there are some things that are very clear in Scripture that are a part of prophecy, and there's just not one passage on it. There are many, and like, man, that is very clear. There are some things that are very clear about the future, which are in the New Testament that God has given us concerning the future. They're very clear. They're crystal clear. Now, there are some things that are a little murky. There are some things that we're uncertain about. And it does make me wonder, and I know this, the Bible's clear, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Now, there may be some different views and opinions on some things on how that looks like concerning with the church and what it goes through and what it doesn't go through. I'm not here to necessarily get into that. But Jesus is coming again. And I hope that you're ready. I hope that you're prepared. And I hope that you're ready to see him. But it makes me wonder a little bit, church, that what is also in the valleys of future prophecy? Now, I don't say that to scare anybody or to scare myself because I'm going to trust in God through all of it. But it does make me wonder. And it makes me even, even uh, makes me want to encourage everyone else to be ready. Be ready spiritually. Be walking with the Lord. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, there's things we went through in the last couple years with um, things that we never thought would happen with COVID, right? You never know what's going to happen in the future. But I know this. God's in control. I'm going to walk with him. 
regardless of what comes our way as a church and as a people, as a, as a nation, because I know that God has it all under control. And whatever is over our head that we can't control is still under his feet. Amen? And he has all of it. He has all of it under control. Now, here's a, here's a third one here I want, I want for you. And I do want to mention this, and this is, I, I don't know, I have it in my notes. I want to be clear on something, though. And, and, and Paul talks a lot about this. And there's some different opinions on this as well, but the church is not Israel, and the Israel is not the church. But yet, spiritually, we are grafted in, into the same tree. And how does that happen? It doesn't happen by becoming a church member as much as it happens becoming Jewish. It happens by repenting and putting your faith and trust in Christ Jesus, period. Now, while there are principles and promises that we see in the Old Testament, some of those are just for Israel. Some of them are just for Israel. But it still can encourage us knowing that the same God who gave some of those promises to Israel as a nation cares for us, and there's still promises, and that apply to us in the Old Testament we can read, but that he has it all under control. But there are two different things, and things can get a little murky at times. Here's the last one, is there's an invisible reality. We're living today in the dispensation or the mystery of the church. It is a mystery. There's much we don't necessarily know about the future with the church, but we know that God loves it, which from the ages of past have been hid in God who creates all things. And there's a lot of things he hasn't told us yet. There's some things we haven't quite discovered. Like, for example, I mean, God knows all. He gave us his word, but yet there's some things he hasn't told us. He didn't tell us about the little Adam, but yet man discovered it. He didn't tell anybody about the diamonds that are deep in the earth, yet we have discovered it. And there's some things that God has has here for us to discover, to find out. And he's kept a lot of things to himself. And he allows mankind to make these discoveries, but there are some things that we'll never find out except through revelation. And the church was a mystery in that sense until God revealed it and built it. And the church started on the day of Pentecost. It started off as a Jewish church, quickly to have many Gentiles reached and God showed through the book of Acts how he's going to reach all different people groups and Gentiles. And so God, uh, Paul reminds the church, God's purpose is to display his wisdom to all people, to the, even to the unseen world and the powers. And that's how it reads here. And let's read verse 10. And God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich um, variety to all unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And this was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus. Because Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. What a great reminder that because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that if we have accepted Christ, 
we can go boldly before God's throne. He will hear our prayers as a loving Father who wants to help us, to lead us, and to guide us. And so I pray that you will see the importance of the church. And God is using it to display his wisdom, to display his love to not just the people here on earth, but to what is unseen. And there's much in spiritual warfare that is unseen. Now maybe this unseen world he mentions are the heavenly angels in which are for us. Maybe it is the fallen angels and Satan and his demons who are against us. And the church is a beautiful gift. A beautiful gift that he's given to us. You know, being a Christian without being a church member or finding having a home, it's kind of like saying that you want to play football, but you don't want to be on a team. You want to be a soldier, but you don't want to be a part of, of a platoon. once had a lady tell me, preacher, I'm a part of the invisible church. I said, ma'am, in all due respect, when you get sick, what invisible pastor is going to come see you? She said, point taken. God has given something visible something we should care about. And if God cares about it, he's made it clear in his word that he is for it, that he's going to use it. Our attitudes and actions should match. Match that of our Lord Jesus Christ when it comes to his church. I pray that you know Christ as your Savior. And I pray, maybe just maybe, you've seen the importance of his church. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for my church. God, I'm thankful for some of the other churches that I've been a part of that helped encourage me, that helped mold me, that helped disciple me, Help me grow in my faith. God, I'm thankful for the nursery workers, our children church workers, to those who, even the little things that are done here in church are big things to you. For those who text and make phone calls to some of our shut-ins who are unable to make it. When people are sick, that they're willing to check in on them and just let them know that they care for them and are thanking of them. For those who take meals to other church members when they've had surgery or a baby or whatever else is going on in their life and 
just a simple way to support one another. Or when a loved one passes away and the church surrounds them and supports them with love. The church, how they help those who come by the church or contact the church and they need help. They're not sure where else to go. God, we're thankful. And I pray that we'll use our gifts and our abilities to continue to further the kingdom of God. I pray that we're reminded of how much we're loved and how you've given us access to come boldly before your throne of grace and mercy. Not because we deserve it, not because of how great we are, but because of how loving you are and how you've opened your door to every one of your children. We love you, we praise you. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. And everyone said, Amen. So good to see you here, church.